The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network The young boy Joshua Smith here doing a special audio solo episode reviewing Tamashi Nights 3 and Nights 4. One of these days we will get Jeremy Donovan on one of these shows. Um, Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit njpwext.us today for details. And um, we've mentioned this a few times on the show. This is not my first go around as it pertains to covering the world of New Japan's Oceanic brand. Tamashi and earlier in February they did two nights of action February 3rd and February 4th but it took about a month before that uh video was made accessible to us on njpwworld.com and the time that it did become available was just chock full in the middle of a ton of other events and things that were going on that were like much more pertinent at the time um that kind of precluded us from being able to cover these events at that time. Um, And it is kind of unfortunate if you really think about it, because uh, this is like a new brand that new Japan is trying to uh, build a little bit of, uh, you know, space for and some interest. And it seems like every single time it's, well, it's, this is only the second time they've done uh, tapings, but both times it took a really long time before that uh, videotape was accessible to the, wider you know njpw world viewing audience so uh, i think that does draw back a little bit on fan interest and and hype and and everything like that but um i made it a goal i wanted to make sure that we kind of carved out a little bit of time for these shows and 
you know, this coming week we have uh, Karen Peterson coming on the show. Be sure to check that out. We're going to be doing a review of the road to um, Sakura Genesis as well as previewing Sakura Genesis. And it just didn't feel right to have two full length shows like they did back in February for Tamashi and kind of just talk about them for five to ten minutes and move on. Um, I wanted to give a little bit of spotlight to what they're doing here. Um, Jeremy did want to be on this show. He had every intention and schedules just didn't line up. So it doesn't look like that was going to be in the cards for us this time. Uh, I think he might be a little bit in the headspace of one Don Callis. He thinks he's only going to show up for, uh, the big shows, if you know what I'm saying, but (laughs) we will get him on here one of these days, but, um, we're going to go ahead and talk about both these shows. What I thought, uh, the first night kicks off Tamashi night three, February 3rd. Uh, 2023 from Sydney, Australia. And um, this emanated from Selena's Entertainment Center, which is, uh, according to my research, essentially a uh, like a, con- a live concert venue, one of the more famous ones in Australia. And um, I don't know what the official attendance was for the show. We didn't get those numbers, but I will say this. This sounded and looked to be like a smaller crowd, And if you hear any paper rustling in the background, that's going to be my notes. I did take copious amount of notes for this, Uh, but they did about 350 plus for the second night. And this seemed to be slightly smaller for that. So I'm going to guess somewhere between two to 300 individuals were probably present for this show. And um, just my overall thoughts to kind of start things off again, one month delay to air these shows is probably a bit too long. Um, I did think the production value was good for what was essentially an indie house show. Like they had LED boards and uh, dark lights and multi-cam. And it was a, definitely a notch above what Tamashi Night 1 had uh, basically given to us. But in terms of comparing it to Tamashi Night 2, it was a step below. Which, uh, if you listen to my... Uh, previous solo episode covering Tamashi. I, I, I remarked how the second night of Tamashi a few months back, or actually last year, believe it or not, had uh, some of the best uh, quality of just production when you're kind of comparing it to other um, independent level type shows. This kind of fell somewhere in between there, and, and it's going to be similar for night two and night three, which was something that was nice. The, the production levels were comparable between night three and night four here. Um, The venue was a good venue. I don't know if there was a way to configure it to uh, basically sit more individuals. It kind of reminded me of if you've ever watched like some of the famous Evolve shows here from like Ebor in Tampa, the the Orpheum kind of has a similar structure and layout. And I always felt like they never were able to maximize the venue there either. So, uh, but one thing they could have done potentially, they did have a large stage that the wrestlers were coming out on. Potentially, if they had uh, put some seating up there, I don't know if that would have been a, a, a move that they could have uh, potentially, you know, made. Uh, but again, um, the commentary team on this first night was different from night uh, four. I think that I didn't capture the names, and I swear to God, I tried so hard to <laughs> figure out who these individuals were. They did say their names on the production, but. Uh, I couldn't understand them, and when I tried to, I do know that they're the official commentary team for PWA Black Label, which seems to be uh, the 
the company in Australia that's primarily partnering with New Japan to put on these shows. And um, when I looked at their like rosters and personnel, I just could not find enough information to figure out who this commentary team was. They were good. I think they were uh, the same voices that returned from the first couple Tamashi events. So um, that's a good thing. The crowd on this night, not the best uh, between night three and night four. This was definitely the weaker of the two crowds because not only was it less people, but they seemed to be much more apathetic to just the ongoings. I don't know if there was uh, disinterest because of the talent that was involved. Obviously, there's a mix here of some New Japan domestic stars, but primarily most of the card was uh, you know, filled with either dojo talent from the new zealand dojo or pwa talent and various other uh, australia indie talent and yeah i don't know what the deal was this crowd was pretty apathetic and it did even though i thought that the show from a quality standpoint was pretty good i do think that the crowd's lack of interest and response did hurt things uh slightly um one other thing that was interesting, there was quite a few domestic stars, and we'll, we'll give you the rundown here in a moment, but there was only two matches featuring domestic New Japan stars. Like I mentioned, most of the talent here was New Zealand Dojo and PWA Black Label talent. Um, and interestingly enough, again, they went with a, uh, the similar structure to the first two shows where none of the matches went over 15 minutes. Um, top to bottom, and, and I'll give you the review here in a second, but I didn't think this was particularly a strong or great show even though most of the matches were shorter than 15 minutes they were all given a good amount of time for the most part and that actually left me feeling like the show wasn't extremely dynamic everything was like around the 10 to 14 minute mark so uh, the the pace was a little bit um arduous just watching it i did think the second half of the show was much better than the first half of the show and um, the biggest problem, I think, overall was the inconsequential nature of this uh, of these two nights. If you're a completist, I'd say definitely check this show out. But if you're looking for great matches, um, you're not going to see anything that blows you away on this evening. Um, so let's just jump into it. The, the show opened up uh, first match of the night, Jessica Troy versus Charlie Evans. Uh, this is uh, historic because it's the first all-female match or even match featuring females um, for the uh, NJPW Tamashi brand. Jessica Troy and Charlie Evans, I'm not extremely um, knowledgeable about either of these two towns, but based on what the commentary was providing us, they are training partners. I think Jessica Troy is one of the more senior uh, wrestlers on the brand for PWA and is internationally traveled and worked for like the Shimmer brand. These two have a, a long-standing rivalry in the country. This match went five minutes, 47 seconds. And um, I did think that uh, this was pretty good. The crowd didn't seem to be as into it as I was. I thought it was better than their reactions would indicate. Um, but they did have a good match. I did think that um, it was a little bit slow. It had sort of like an exhibition-y sort of vibe, which, you know... Um, Kind of makes sense. There wasn't a lot of uh, story leading into this. It was just sort of like a, a female match offering. But these two uh, wrestlers, Jessica Troy and Charlie Evans, very familiar with one another. I thought they had a good uh, pace, good style. Um, and ultimately it ended when Troy uh, caught Evans in a 
sub-reversal. So she was going for like an arm bar. I think she's the arm collector. And Charlie Evans was trying to reverse that submission. And she got caught in a pinning predicament. One, two, three, five minutes, 47 seconds. Jessica Troy wins. Uh, I believe they showed a, a sign of respect to one another. And we move on. Second match of the night was Nikolai Anton Bell and Jordan Allen Wright taking on the Velocities. And uh, the Velocities picked up the win here 10 minutes and 41 seconds. This was a match between uh, New Zealand Dojo Boys in Anton Bell and Allen Wright. We've seen both of these two individuals in, on the previous uh, Tamashi shows. And the Velocities are probably one of the most well-known Australian tag teams, even just internationally. Um... I did think uh, Jordan Allen Wright continued to be physically impressive in the style of work that he did here. He did seem to slow down in the second half of the night and showed up the second night with uh, lots of tape on his ribs. And I'm wondering if maybe there was some sort of, uh, you know, potential injury that took place in this match. Hard to tell. Um, but the velocities in their previous uh, Tamashi showing, we they were in a six man. We didn't get to see some of the best stuff. Uh, in this match, we got to see a bit more of what they have to offer, and this is probably the best offering that, or best showing that they've had um, for the Tamashi brand. Although I've seen them have much better matches with more experienced individuals. Uh, keep in mind, this is uh, veterans versus rookies, which continues to be a long-standing theme all throughout these shows. Um, I did think Nikolai Anton Bell uh, seemed to be much improved. Um, the Dojo Boys here looked very competent and not necessarily out of place. The story of the match was uh, for the Dojo guys, youth, size, and power because they m were much bigger. And it, it, that seems to also be something that I'm noticing is a lot of the New Zealand Dojo guys are pretty big. There's a lot of size there. You, you hear the uh, commentating team mention how there's so many lions that are huge and they're wondering what's in the water. And I think that makes a lot of sense just kind of considering that it's Fale's dojo. And when you look at the prototypical wrestlers coming out of, say, Shibata's uh, camp, they all kind of emulate him in certain respects. Well, I think a lot of these guys are putting on size and power and are, are being recruited just being big, um, you know, because that makes sense. They're coming from Fale's dojo. But uh, on the side of... Uh, Velocities, this is a team that has a lot of speed, athleticism, and experience. And um, the only part of this match that I didn't necessarily love was when the Young Lions cut off uh, the Velocities and they started to get heat. Their heat segment was a little bit slow and lacking. They seemed to kind of um, lose where they were in the match and what they should be doing next. So they're thinking a bit more than they're actually wrestling, you know, from what I could tell. Um, but down the stretch, there was a blind tag to a double um, double stomp finisher, and then a uh, shooting star press <laughs> shooting star press from Paris de Silva uh, down the end. There was a weird top rope um, botch from the other velocity uh, going down the stretch, where he was trying to uh keep the one of the lions from being able to break up the pinfall and he got caught up in the ropes and it was a little bit weird but all in all i thought this was a, a very good match and i'd probably go about three and a quarter i i'm about three stars for the first match of the night after that we saw a singles match where jake taylor of the new zealand dojo took on carter dreams 
we've seen both of these individuals on previous Tamashi shows as well, making their return here. And um, this was another uh, instance where you see a larger New Zealand dojo guy taking on um, someone with uh, basically experience. And Carter Dreams is very much a swaggy sort of uh, heel. And he picked up the win here, 9 minutes, 58 seconds. Um, early goings, the size and power of Jake Taylor was kind of the story here. So Carter Dreams had to find a way to kind of neutralize that. Went after the left arm to uh, slow him down. And the match itself was pretty slow until about the halfway part. They go into a big strike battle, seem to pick things up. We start to see more fire and spirit from both wrestlers. Um, decent arm selling from Jake Taylor. But uh, the match concluded when we got um, double boots and splash from uh, Carter Dreams to Jake Taylor. And as he kicks out, he locks in a Kimura into some sort of scissor combination to finish off that Kimura hold. And from there, Jake Taylor uh, tapped out. We get a clean win, uh, clean win at 9 minutes 58 seconds. And for that match, I'd go about 2 and 3 quarters. Fourth match of the night, so we're at the halfway point. We see the team of the nation, which was Mick Moretti and um, let me get the guy's name here, uh, Adam Hoffman, which for na- the, the nations, and I think they've also gone by the name in the past four nations, or maybe that's their current name. It's hard to tell. Um, they're one of the more well-known and, re- you know, kind of reviled uh, factions in Australian wrestling. There's been a lot of members, so. I'm guessing, I don't know too much about them, but similar in size and scope to maybe say like TMDK, but uh, based on what they were saying on the commentary, seemed like they might even have more of a prolific standing in Australia. They took on the New Zealand Dojo team of uh, Richard Mulu and Victor Langas. Uh, the, The nation team picked up the win at 11 minutes, 26 seconds. And, um, Mulu is a New Zealand dojo guy. Langas is a freelance wrestler, and he's under uh, what's called the Green Dingo system. So he's also a rookie. He's only been wrestling about a year. And I'm guessing, from based on what they were explaining, the Green Dingo system is comparable to like the uh, the Noge Young Lions dojo system. So they wear green. They're green clad, and uh, they're you know they're essentially young lions but they're called dingoes because it's australia um the nations again they're uh pretty much stationed in the pwa uh promotion the crowd was really really hot for richard mulu and this is a guy that was not only on the previous tamashi shows but was also highlighted and featured pretty extensively on that uh new zealand dojo uh, reality TV show that aired on New Japan World. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I thought it was very good. And he was one of the standout guys there. I do think that there's probably a case where Richard Mulu, because he is local, is bringing in friends and family to these shows, and that might be uh, upping the perception of his overness. However, I don't want to discount the fact that he does seem to have a lot, even if he's green in the ring, he has a lot of charisma. And I think that goes a long way. Plus, uh, being native uh, New Zealand, I think that also kind of endears him to the crowd. And he's a big guy, so he sort of has something. They haven't figured out what that is just yet, but I definitely think that there's upside with Richard Mulu. Um, I was a little bit confused because I don't. I haven't seen Mick Moretti too much. I saw him um, on the previous tour 
when he faced off in a singles match main event against, um, uh, oh God, Ishimori. But I've always seen him wearing clown makeup, and I thought that was sort of his gimmick. And he came into this match kind of clean without any clown makeup. So I don't know if that's uh, only in singles matches or, you know, I'm not sure what the deal is there. Someone that's more knowledgeable about Australian wrestling could probably clue me in. But uh, I thought that the vets here were great, both Moretti and Hoffman. And I thought that the Mulu and Longas were green, essentially. (laughs) Um, I've kind of already gone over Mulu's charisma. Uh, I did think that they kind of used him as just a a hot tag big man in this match, which he did a pretty good job of. Um, There was an awesome wheelbarrow double team suplex finish down the stretch where uh, the nation's uh, took out Hoff or Longus and picked up the win at 11 minutes, 26 seconds, three stars here. After that, we get to the um, second half of the show and we saw the team of the rogue army. That's bad luck. Fale and Jack Bonza taking on the United empire duo of Aaron Hanare and Kyle Fletcher. So we're halfway through the show and we finally get the first match of the night featuring actual new Japan stars. And, um, yeah, the crowd was really into this, obviously, bigger stars and getting to kind of see these two different warring factions uh, compete against one another. All four guys looked uh, decidedly a level above what we had seen on the rest of the show, just in their style of wrestling and movement. Um, but the match itself was firmly in what I would consider house show territory. So it wasn't like they're out there really killing themselves or, you know, putting on a you know, a clinic or anything like that. Uh, there was one uh, period when they were on the outside and uh, it was pretty interesting. Bad Luck Fale had grabbed Kyle Fletcher and offered his chest up to a fan and a fan gave him a chop. I think that's one of those things that you can only do in a safe, trusted, independent wrestling environment. If you do it in any other type of wrestling scenario, you open yourself up to lawsuits and things like that. So it is fun when they do that sort of stuff, but you have to be very careful. But uh, yeah, fan chopped Kyle Fletcher. That was pretty memorable. Um, I am curious about the whole Bullet Club, New Zealand Dojo, and Nations thing because my understanding is that Bonza was like in the Nations and Folly obviously is Bullet Club, but he's also the New Zealand Dojo uh, head trainer. And it's sort of known. And then obviously Jack Bonza is like one of the, I think, owners of PWA Black Label. So there's a lot kind of mixed in there, and I'm wondering how they're going to be presented. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're they're the Rogue Army branch of Bullet Club, so basically Bullet Club's representation here on the Tamashi brand. But I am wondering how that melds in with PWA's kayfabe and then the kind of greater known New Zealand dojo connection. It's just kind of a little bit weird. But um, Hanare, who is a New Zealand dojo uh, and Fale trainee um, graduate, he uh he did at one point slam Folly in this match, which was pretty impressive. They had a good closing stretch, but down the the tail end there was a low blow finish, which was a little bit disappointing here. Just as the match was starting to kind of uh, really pick up, and and Jack Bonza gave a low blow low blow to Kyle Fletcher at the twelve minute forty three second mark. So the United Empire picks up the win here. Crowd was not happy with that finish. I still would go about three and a quarter on the match overall. At the end, we saw jawjacking from Bonza and Hanari post-match talking about wanting to run it back. And I think that's going to play more into night two, one of the only storylines that we see kind of carry over between these two nights. 
Um, after that, we had the sixth match of the night, singles action. We had uh, Liberd Lucci, who was a recent um, inductee into the Rogue Army, so he's under Fale and Bonza. And he took on Andrew Villalobos of the New Zealand Dojo. Um, this match started off pretty good. Um, Lucci is just a really incredible chicken shit heel because not only does he use the tactics that we've seen from lots of heels in the past, but he just adds this flair of comedy to it. And I don't know. I just find him really entertaining. Even if the match itself wasn't great, I think he is a good, really awesome character. Uh, Villa Lobos is a guy that I've been a little bit critical in the past. He headlined the first night of Tamashi against um, Kenta. And based on what we're seeing here from the previous tour, he's much, much improved. I think he has a lot more confidence and fluidity in his movement. Um, still, There's still some greenery there, but he's definitely making strides. And this match was very much like a cat and mouse chase. Villalobos trying to get his hands on Lucci and Lucci just trying to uh, kind of avoid Villalobos. Um there was a period where things slowed down right in the middle of the match, and I'm kind of wondering if Phil Lobos maybe got blown up. Hard to tell, but um, after his uh, after the comeback it, down the tail stretch, things did pick up and get a little bit better. Um, there was a point where Villa Lobos had Lucci in a Boston Crab, and it looked like he was going to finish him. Uh, Lucci used literally grabbed the ref and crawled over the referee to uh, get to the rope break, which was pretty uh, funny, but I don't know how you don't get disqualified for that. Um, he used an eye rake escape into a cheating pinning combo at the 13 minute uh, and two second mark for the win. I'd go two and three quarters on this. So it was a little, not, not, I wouldn't call it a good match, but it, it was fine. Um, the, the co-main event here, we saw uh, what was probably the match of the night where we had the current reigning PWA heavyweight or world heavyweight championship. I don't know how they um, classify it, but Ricky South took on New Zealand Dojo graduate Michael Richards in a very, very good match. This is the only match of the night that I would say if you're just going to cherry pick, this is probably worth checking out. Um Richard South, or I'm sorry, Richie's, Ricky South, uh, he's been holding that title for over 746 days. There's only been four defenses. I think partly there was a period where he was injured and was out and was unable to defend the title. And in, in that interim, they had crowned Mick Moretti as the interim champion. They ended up having a blow-off steel cage match to unify those titles. I believe the deal was Ricky South was a babyface before he got injured and returned and became a heel. And you combine that with the ongoings of COVID and restrictions, and that's probably the the reason for the lack of uh, major title defenses. But um, again, this is two really big, muscular, strong heavyweights, big boys, very, very physical, very, very enjoyable match. There was a lot of heat on Ricky South. Uh, this uh, Sydney crowd was not in favor of him whatsoever. Um both men looked really good here. Very, very hard-hitting and intense match. Uh, they worked their asses off. Um, down the stretch, there was a period where Michael Richards um, landed what's called the FTK. I think that's like one of his finishers or quasi-finishers. He's been beating people with it. And uh, Ricky South had enough presence of mind to roll out of the ring. 
Um, there was a period where there's big boot botch going down the tail stretch that uh, was, you know, unfortunate, but it, I did notice it. But uh, the the end of the match here, Ricky South fights back, hits a huge uh, inside out lariat and a pile driver for the one two three. I'd go three and a half match of the night, one of the better matches from the Tamashi brand, so highly recommended. And then that brings us to the main event where we saw the sniper of the sky, Robbie Eagles, taking on AEW's current uh, signed star as well as a representative of the factory, Aaron Solo. And Robbie Eagles picked up the win here, 14 minutes, 23 seconds with a Ron Miller special. Um, Solo does have a connection to the Tamashi brand in the sense that uh, he was a graduate and trainee under the New Zealand dojo with Bad Luck Fale. So they've kind of given him a space to work here and, you know, some shine. And I also think it's good uh, for him to kind of get some reps in. Plus, he adds a little bit of name value from his AW. AEW exposure. Um, him and Eagles had a good match. I wouldn't call it a great match. The crowd was very into Robbie Eagles, and I sort of consider him the current de facto ace of the brand. He's sort of been at the forefront, the guy pushing, uh, you know, a lot of spearheading Australian wrestling internationally, just in general. Um, you know, if you're listening at this point, you're probably already aware that currently. Robbie Eagles is a member of Team DK, but when this occurred in February, this was Factory versus Chaos. Um, like I said, the crowd was really into it. There was less high flying and action than I expected from uh, these two guys. Uh, I sort of feel like everyone top to bottom, and I, I hate to be critical, but I just feel like they treated this slightly like a house show, and I feel like some of that kind of falls on the crowd, not necessarily giving them the most energy in the world. But, um, yeah, there, the last four minutes of the match did turn out to be very, very good. Uh, down the stretch, Eagles hits a 450 to the leg, went for the uh, Ron, Ron Miller special, and he picks up the win, like I mentioned. There was a show-closing promo from Robbie Eagles, uh, and the audience was a little bit weak, even though they were into him here, and I was kind of... Uh, kind of surprised Robbie did mention wanting to bring Australia to chaos, which is pretty funny because I don't think that's going to uh, necessarily be the case moving forward. Uh, and then he, at the time yo was getting ready to wrestle Hiromu. And he said that after uh, yo and Hiromu went or wrestle, whoever wins, he wants next, he wants the next uh, title shot for the IWGP junior heavyweight title. And he wants to bring that title to Australia and have a match here. And, he has uh, his site set to be uh, included in the Oceana Cup, which is a big uh, multi-day event that's coming up in Wagga Wagga for the Tamashi brand, and he plans to win that as well. So lots of fire from Robbie. That kind of does it for the night. Uh, there were comments after the show. They featured more of the backstage comments for night three than they did for night four. Um, a few of the things I noticed, Jessica Choi wants to wrestle for stardom. Uh, the Velocities have aims to go into the NJPW Junior Tag Division, which I think they'd be a breath of fresh air to kind of enter there. There's a lot of talent there right now. Uh, Carter Dreams is a really good promo. One of the few guys that uh, we've seen from PWA that I think stand out as a very good promo. Um, Richard Mulu talked about how uh, he had a really good line at the end of his promo where he talked about, uh, you know, Australia sort of taking over the wrestling world. And he's like, there's two things you can do about it. Nothing and like it, which I liked that. 
Uh, I did find the Rogue Army to kind of be hilarious post-match, and there was also comedy on the United Empire side because Kyle Fletcher was trying to cut a promo, but because he got low-blowed, he just kept grabbing his balls, and he just couldn't get the words out to actually speak, which was pretty funny. Um, Liber Lucci still has aims to buy his own farm, and he's a good promo. Even if his match wasn't great, he's a good promo, good character guy. And um, I thought most of the Dojo guys had uh, subpar promos. I think that's something that they probably need to work on. Ricky South had a good promo. Um, and most of what was here, these guys and girls were given like probably around a minute to talk, so it's not like we got to see a lot of their chops, but... Everything they talked about was very spirity, talking about New Zealand and where they've come from and Australia and wanting to elevate the brand. So some good stuff there, but I'm still a little critical just in the sense that there wasn't a lot of, you know, I liked that a few of these wrestlers talked about their goals and aspirations, whereas many of the other talents that were here didn't really give us too much insight into their character into what their goals or aspirations were there were no stories that were kind of carrying over and so again i kind of feel like even though the show was good it was sort of like a house show for tamashi and it wasn't something that uh, again if you're watching if you're a diehard new japan fan and you're tuning in and you're watching the greater overall show or even like say strong as well I don't know where this fits into the overall kayfabe, or if it does at all. I guess it's kind of more like a, a fun side quest, but it's really inconsequential to the overall kayfabe of what's going on abroad with uh, New Japan. I did like the Eagles tie-ins, though, uh, down the stretch, where he he starts kind of planting the seeds of his discontent with uh, chaos and everything like that. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for night one of tamashi now let's jump into night four of tamashi the subsequent evening on february 4th 2023 this aired on march 4th 2023 on njpwworld.com and uh this emanated from melbourne australia from an arena known as the croxton the attendance here 352 in attendance and this was a pretty good show and a very good crowd a lot more life and energy for night four uh, than there was on night three. And this kind of emulates what we saw from the first Tamashi tour, where the second night was uh, much more lively and the production level was elevated. That's sort of what we saw here on this evening. Now, I did mention that there was multi-cameras on both evenings and that the production was similar and comparable in many ways. Uh, but I did. I thought that this was, even though this was a smaller venue, it probably was a more attended show than the first night. Um, they had a lot more lights and and kind of high production uh, in the actual arena, which was pretty cool. I did think that they. Um, I don't know if this was a misstep or not, but they changed the commentary team from PWA's house commentating table to. Um, more recognizable names from New Japan uh, with Chris Charlton and uh, Juicy Gino Gambino uh, covering the show, which was in some ways kind of nice because that's a palatable duo that we're very familiar with if you have been watching New Japan for any length of time. And it's always nice to hear Gino since we haven't seen too much of him uh, since the pandemic. But because this was recorded uh, in post, it kind of clashed from a sound quality standpoint with the actual live venue. I sort of personally 
would have preferred the PWA team. Um, even though they're not as familiar to many of the, um, the audience that were probably tuning in, um, you know, just internationally, it might've been better just from a quality standpoint to have the more natural sounding, um, commentating booth, because when they try to mix in, you know, what was essentially a non-commentated show and then add the commentary and post it for whatever reason, there's always just this disconnect and it kind of lets you know, like these guys were not there. But other than that, I thought Chris Charlton and Gino Gambino did a very good job. And especially for Chris, who typically doesn't do, you know, he's not like the lead play by, or he's not the lead guy on the um, commentating booth. And he did a good job here kind of uh, filling into that Kevin Kelly role. So um, seven night, the second night, I did like this uh, better than um, the first night. I, again, the attendance was better. Um, what was a little bit different was even though there was eight matches, like the previous show, the top two matches of the evening were both given a lot of time. They both went over the 15 minute mark. I think that's the first time in the history of Tamashi where any matches have gone for that sort of length. So that was a, a kind of a different, um, look. And because of that, some of the matches on the undercard went for shorter periods of time. Um, also, there was conversely three matches featuring domestic stars on this evening as opposed to the two matches from the night prior. Um, same camera work as the first night, but I think the arena was just more conducive to, plus the crowd being better, it's just more conducive to a better overall product presentation. Um, I do think uh, one thing that's interesting here. For the first two Tamashi shows, there wasn't a lot, but there was some coverage online, whether it be fans on, like, say, Reddit or on Cage Match or various different outlets. There were some individuals that watched those shows and actually uh, had coverage. But when it comes to night three and night four, virtually no coverage of any sort anywhere on the Internet. So there was no way I could, like, go find reviews or see what people's impressions were. And there were a couple just small offhanded comments on cage match. And one thing I did see was there seemed to be the perception that this show was much better and worthwhile than the first show uh, on this tour, which I kind of do tend to agree with that. But I will say this. I thought the overall the undercard was not as good as the general quality of matches on the first show, but because there was an ebb and flow of different match times. It didn't feel like everyone was just getting the same match length. It was less strenuous to watch this show than it was the first one, even if the matches themselves weren't quite as good. Um, And then you combine that with the top two matches being very good, including one match that is a notebook match that you need to go out of your way and check out. Uh, I think that kind of puts this show over the top. So for me, this is right on par in some ways with the Tamashi Night 2 in terms of like worthwhile um, shows to check out. And um, even if you're just cherry picking the top two matches, the, the which they uh, went ahead and labeled as a double main event. And I think that was probably an apt uh, you know description for this. Uh, very, very good. So um, overall, Night 2 is definitely superior to night one, even if there were some better things offered on the first night. Um, so let's start off. Uh, the show starts opening match. 
Uh, we have tag team action as the team from the New Zealand Dojo, Nikolai Anton Bell and Shep Alexander. They took on a team of uh, Australian independent wrestlers that I was not familiar with. Uh, the the two wrestlers in question, Jake Andewartha, and then a masked man who just goes by the name of Gore. And this team won their match, uh, the veterans, at 9 minutes and 33 seconds. I believe they actually do have a official tag team name, which I wasn't privy to. But, um, yeah, so Dojos versus Freelancers. And um, I do think that this guy, or um, from what I saw, um, the first individual, Jake Andwartha, he's a larger gentleman and maybe not in the best shape, uh, but they talked about his legit experience and length of time wrestling, and he was deceptively agile and athletic for a guy his size, and I thought that he was pretty good. But the other, uh, his tag team partner, Gore, this guy with the mask, he is a physical specimen. Uh, some people might even just say a genetic freak. He is someone that I would definitely like to see a lot more of on the Tamashi brand, if not elsewhere. Um, I think he's got upside. And um, speaking of the New Zealand dojo wrestlers, uh, Anton Bell, this is the fourth time we've seen him on Tamashi. And, you know, he's not necessarily a physical marvel just yet, but I definitely think that he has something. Um, kind of reminds me of young and I don't want to say he's as good as him, but he kind of reminds me of young Barry Windham when he was still kind of gangly before he filled out. That's kind of similar vibe I get from Anton Bell. He's technically pretty good. Um, this match essentially, though, was a squash match where the experienced vets uh, pretty much killed the New Zealand Dojo guys. And at 9 minutes and 33 seconds, I thought it was a little bit long for just an extended squash. There wasn't a lot that was given to the New Zealand Dojo guys. Um, one thing that I didn't think was great, Anton Bell down the stretch put on a pretty sloppy Boston Crab, but he did have a good drop kick in the match. His his Boston Crab, though, he was like falling forward, which I don't know if maybe he was tired or if he was hurt, what happened there. Maybe there wasn't good uh, cooperation, but that, that stood out. Um, at the tail end, though, Shep Alexander was the guy that took the loss here, and there was an incredible double team move where... Um, <laughs> Nikolai Anton Bell, no, 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 I'm sorry. Shep Alexander got power bombed, and then they uh, took, then the other guy from the experience team took Nikolai Anton Bell and dominated him onto Shep Alexander's prone body. So this was just very similar uh, in style to like a Road Warriors type or like demolition type uh, squash match. So nine minutes, 33 seconds. Um, the vets pick up the win here. Pretty cool finish, and I got to tell you, I want to see more of Gore. I would go about two and a half on this one. Second match of the night, uh, we had singles action as Richard Mulu returned, and he took on a gentleman by the name of Jarvis, and we already know Richard Mulu's from the New Zealand Dojo. Jarvis was a young talent, and he was a late replacement for another individual. They said his name several times, but I could not make out uh, his name. Uh, to really, uh, you know, the funny thing is like the commentators on the first night were both uh, Australian, I believe. And I can understand what they're saying from inferring. But when they're talking of, uh, you know, when they're saying names that I'm not familiar with, including their own, really hard for me to make those out, especially on the audio, which wasn't necessarily the best. 
And then on night two, you have Chris Charlton and Gino Gambino, who I am very familiar with uh, understanding them, but they both also, you know, one has an English accent, one has an Australian accent. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the sound quality wasn't great. So I could not understand who this individual was that Jarvis was a late replacement for. But um, he kind of had a smarmy, sort of smaller heel, arrogant sort of thing going on. And um, they put him in there with the big powerhouse, uh, Babyface and Richard Mulu. So there was definitely that sort of uh, David versus Goliath, but the smarmy, but the, the, the David is a smarmy heel. And, um, you know, in the early goings, he couldn't really handle the power of Richard Mulu, but he just kept, you know, uh, playing to the crowd. Eventually, um, Jarvis uh, targeted the left, lag, the left leg of Richard Mulu to kind of neutralize it. The crowd was really into this match. I think they did a good job sort of uh, capturing the, the attention of the crowd. And um, there was some cool offense down the tail stretch from Jarvis. He's a guy I think that might have some upside. Uh, but at the end here, he tried to go for a top rope uh, crossbody. Mulu caught that into a uh, huge power slam for the one, two, three at 7 minutes, 20 seconds. I'd go about 2 and 3 quarters on this one. Third match of the night, we had the team of the Rogue Army. That's Bad Luck Fale and Jack Bonza of the Bullet Club. Uh, they took on the New Zealand Dojo tag team of Michael Richards and Andrew Villalobos. Again, that sort of weird dichotomy coming into play because, you know, at the top of the Rogue Army is Fale, but he's also the head trainer for the New Zealand Dojo. So he's sort of like a teacher versus a student sort of thing going on with him and the, the New Zealand graduate tag team here. Um, but before the match actually started, there was a promo, pre-match promo. Jack Bonza got on the, the mic, and he kind of buried Melbourne and all the talent from there. And he said that, you know, the Rogue Army is in scouting mode. They're recruiting, but there's literally no talent from Mel- Melbourne that they would ever consider and just kind of buried the entire state, which was pretty uh, hilarious. The crowd got a lot of heat reaction from that. Um Again, I thought Villalobos looked improved and good here. This is the second match on the tour we saw him in and uh, seeing him in a tag situation. And he got good fire, but he still looked green. And I thought he looked more green in this match than he did in the singles match the night prior. Uh, This match followed very much a classic tag team formula. You know what I'm talking about. You know, the early goings into the shine and then the, the cutoff and then the heat, the comeback, and then the close. That's exactly what they did here. The only thing, though, is because it's a Bullet Club match and it's, um, you know, veteran heel guys who are on top of their respective uh, faction, the, the heat segment and the cutoff was very, very prolonged. And um, lots and lots of cheating, lots of brawling on the outside. Very, very little from the, the Babyface team. Uh, even when they did come back, they just didn't get much. And down the stretch, we saw a definitive STF win as Jack Bonza uh, applied the STF to Andrew Villalobos for the tap out at 13, or I'm sorry, 11 minutes and 22 seconds. And I thought this was pretty slow. Um, I'd go two and a half on it. I was not loving this match. <laughs> um, the fourth match of the night, more tag team action. We saw the New Zealand team of Jake Taylor and Jordan Allen Wright taking on the tag team known as the Natural Classics. That's Tomei Philippe and Stevie Philippe. 
And this was a team that I thought had the standout match of the evening on the first night of Tamashi on the previous tour, uh, the Natural Classics, that is. And um, yeah, so again, we and if you notice, I just keep repeating. We're seeing dojo guys taking on veterans, which you know makes me do kind of call into question: What are the aims of these shows exactly? Are we looking to build to the future is this to give um you know reps to these green guys or is it more to be a showcase for the australian talent that is already sort of established on an independent level like the natural classics um kind of calling some of that into question i I mean i do think it's good that they're giving these new zealand dojo guys experience but i am wondering if there's a better way to lay this out because we're seeing so many matches where it's dojo guys versus veterans and part of me is wondering if that's because that's better for the dojo guys than to put them in matches against one another on the lower stage of the card as would be more traditional per like say you know the the japanese style booking for a a regular show um the match itself was okay um one thing i thought was weird was they kept having very very long prolonged wide shots and i mentioned that this show was a multi-cam show and for whatever reason on this match in particular they had a lot of just steady cam wide angle wide shots which i thought was kind of strange the measured the pace of the match was pretty measured early on um alan wright as i mentioned who i've been pretty impressed with in the past was very taped up and uh kayfabe injured i'm wondering if maybe potentially actually injured or if there was something going on because he didn't do a lot in the match itself and this was another basic babyface versus heel tag team structure. You can pretty much copy and paste what I said about the previous match into this one. Um, a lot of these matches were feeling very, very house show um, style. Uh, there was a period, though, where uh, there was a uh, Jake Taylor did a double suplex on the Philippes, which was pretty impressive and very cool. Not the best outing. From everybody involved there were some botches some mistimed cues and things like that but uh, at the very very tail end we saw Tomei Philippe get an air raid crash on Jordan Allen Wright for the the 1-2-3 victory 13 minutes 9 seconds I'd go 2 and a quarter so I was pretty low on this one um, that brings us to the 5th match of the night singles action we saw Liberd Lucci taking on Mitch Waterman and um, Waterman is a veteran here in uh, Australia, he's a former N- MCW champion. That's Melbourne City Wrestling. So, um, you know that's and uh, Gino Gambino was uh, keen to point out that he himself is also a Melbourne City uh, Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion, which is pretty funny. Uh, Mitch Waterman did pick up the victory here over Liber Lucci at 10 minutes and 57 seconds, but it was not without controversy. Um, at the beginning of the match, they did a crowd battle to start. You know, each guy going to the top rope trying to garner uh, crowd support. Lucci was very much uh, a heel and reviled from the crowd and uh, pretty comical and funny here. This match was the first what I would consider, I would call like true pro level work style match of this show uh, because everything up to this point was, you know, young dojo guys against experienced vets. But, um, this match, even though it did feel a level above what we'd seen in the first four matches, it still had a lot. It felt very much like just a house show, sticky sort of match. I've been to a lot of, like, say, NXT 
Uh, some people call it the, we call it the Largo loop, but others call it the coconut loop um, style house shows where you're sort of having your NXT guys get uh, reps and gain more experience. And I swear to God, I've seen this exact style match laid out and worked many, many times, especially with like, say, Mansoor. <laughs> so very, very house show uh, sticky. But um, it did pick up intermittently throughout the match, especially during the second half. Um, there was a period where Lucci was almost pinned. He got his foot on the rope, and then he rolled outside. So I think uh, Waterman had hit him with some sort of major move. And while he's on the outside, um, Waterman is trying to get him back in. And while he's hanging over the second rope trying to pull Lucci in, he didn't realize that Lucci had uh, grabbed a chair from the outside. He used that chair to reach up and smash Waterman in the head with it. The ref saw it, gets the uh, disqualified at 10 minutes, 57 seconds. Uh, give, start, starts to have a, a, a bit of a, a post-match attack, but um, pretty much just throws a tantrum and, and saunters off. So um, that kind of concluded that match. Two mi- I would go probably two and a quarter star. So if you're noticing, as I mentioned earlier, the undercard to me, was not as um, quality as most of the offerings during the first show. But because there was a different um, ebb and flow to the show and the crowd was really into it, it was still an easier watch than the first night. But things really picked up in the last three matches of the evening, which kind of saved which what I would consider sort of a middling show up to this point. First big singles match of the evening. Um, We saw Aaron Solo fresh off his loss from the previous evening to Robbie Eagles. And he's taking on a well-known veteran of Australian wrestling, Slex, otherwise known as Slex the Business. Um, Was a member of Team DK, maybe still is. I'm not totally sure what that affiliation is currently. But uh, these guys had a good match. Um, Slex is a guy that... uh, is known all over Australia, as I mentioned, but he's also wrestled in the UK, uh, wrestled in the States. He had a big match a few years ago in Melbourne City wrestling with uh, Kazushiko Okada when Okada was having like an excursion match, uh, you know, I think in like 2017, 2018. And uh, he also had just signed with Ring of Honor before the pandemic started. And then, you know, kind of just had a short-lived stint there because the pandemic happened and then all the fallout with Sinclair and then, you know, them getting purchased by Tony Khan uh, took place. So uh, suffice it to say he's not currently with uh, Ring of Honor, but one of the more well-known talents uh, on this show. And um, match was good. Um, Solo had a lot of sort of like, uh, you know, heel shtick in this match um there was one point where there was like a monkey flip botch and solo landed right on his head was pretty scary but i thought these guys had pretty good chemistry were working well with one another this was as i mentioned the match prior was like the first true pro level match of the night well these two guys were like a much more a level above that we'd see this uh for the rest of the evening and um i I wanted to kind of see more from Solo on this show. In fact, on all these Tamashi shows, I sort of feel like he's a guy that has a reputation as being underrated and underutilized. And then on shows like this where they're giving him key 
spotlights. He's going out there and he's putting in good performances, but I want to see him kind of showcase more of what he has to offer and sort of, uh, you know, I don't think there's any reason that he shouldn't be aiming. I'm not sure if he would necessarily hit this target, but for him, a guy like him, I feel like he should be aiming to be the talk of the Tamashi shows and being like the breakout standout guy, like the one who's really putting in these incredible, you know, matches and efforts. And uh, I don't, I haven't seen that from him here. I do think though that Slex is an underrated talent and a guy that hasn't really gotten his just due. Maybe it's just timing, whatever, but he was fantastic here. Had a really, really awesome uh, move where he had a torture rack on Aaron Solo and then spun him around into a blue thunder bomb for a near fall. That was really, really cool. Um, down the stretch though, Aaron Solo hit a sling, uh, Slex came off the, the, the ropes from like a slingshot. Aaron Solo hit him with a super kick as a reversal, went to the top rope, double foot stomps on the Slex, and then hit him with the uh, pedigree for the one, two, three. Um, both Chris Charlton and Gino Gambino were pretty surprised by this outcome. I, I have to say I was as well. So this was somewhat a quasi upset. And I kind of have to wonder if either Tamashi is sort of pushing Solo because they've got to deal with him, you know, and obviously like it has something that it, it might potentially have something to do with the fact that he's a, a folly guy, or if this has something to do with like Tony Khan privilege, because he's from AEW, that sort of thing. And he already did a job the night prior to, uh, to Robbie Eagles, hard to say, but they put him in a tough situation here. I thought Slex looked very good. I thought Aaron Silla was good as well. Um, I'd go three and a quarter on this one. And I was kind of surprised at the outcome. I sort of expected Slex to win, but I don't think he was hurt in this loss uh, by any means. And he's a guy that I'd, I'd like to see a lot more from in the future because he's got an incredible look. He's got a uh, great aura and just, uh, you know, he, he's, he's a guy that I think could be a star somewhere for sure. That brings us to the final two matches of the evening. Uh, what they du- uh, dubbed the double main event and, um, a lot of people coming out of this uh, show, there was buzz, the one buzz that was sort of out there on the internet was that there was this incredible match between Robbie Eagles and Kyle Fletcher. And after checking this match out, I have to tell you that the buzz was not unfounded whatsoever. This match was phenomenal. Now, um, I did see people saying like match of the year worthy. I wouldn't go that far personally, but um you know, in my estimation, this is the final match of Chaos's iteration of Robbie Eagles and was, you know, very noteworthy from that standpoint. Uh, also, there was a lot kind of going into this match because Kyle Fletcher was trained by Robbie Eagles and both men have sort of made it to this world stage in New Japan at this point, but kind of taking diverging paths. So there's sort of a teacher-student there, uh, theme going on there, plus... Uh, you know, obviously Eagles being a smaller man in comparison to Kyle Fletcher, this was sort of like a, a never like a never open weight style match. Um, but these last two matches were a whole different level of anything else we've seen on Tamashi. And you know, again, United Empire versus Chaos, um, and Fletcher really did a great job in the early goings, kind of controlling Robbie Eagles with his size and then his rough housing tactics and brawling on the outside, which kind of uh, ripened Robbie up for some of the big power offense, the big man offense, as we like to call it from Kyle Fletcher later on in the match. 
Robbie had to utilize a lot of his speed and uh, technical ability and his high flying, some of the Lucha Libre stylings that he's uh, apt and known for. Uh, the match was awesome. There was one period, one point though, where there was an awesome roll through sequence, which resulted in Kyle Fletcher hitting a huge Liger bomb for a near fall on Robbie Eagles. Uh, lots of big power moves from Kyle. Uh, one at, probably around the halfway point of the match, and this match went for a while. Robbie started attacking the legs to kind of neutralize Kyle Fletcher, bring him down to his size, and started uh, implementing huge kicks and big dives to kind of even up the score. Um, There was a big sequence um, with both guys doing a lot of, like, huge moves, and and, um, it resulted finally in Kyle Fletcher hitting a snapdragon suplex on Robbie Eagles. Big double down huge this is awesome chant um after that these guys started a fight to the top rope and at the 15 minute mark kyle fletcher uh got the upper hand and hit a top rope michinoku driver on robbie eagles uh he almost won the match at this point robbie uh got a rope break uh and then there was a swinging michinoku bomb and kick out from uh fletcher hit eagles with that so fletcher was really kind of uh giving a lot to Robbie Eagles in this match. The crowd was super hot. This was probably the most into the any match of the evening that I heard from any anyone on the evening. Um, then there was a reversal into a Ron Miller special, sort of out of nowhere. Kyle Fletcher gets the ropes for a rope break. This go, uh, led them into a huge striking exchange, back and forth, back and forth. Huge lariat uh, at the 20-minute mark. Both guys are down. Awesome. Uh, you know, there was a... Uh, uh, another this is awesome chant and we started to go into the close in the last four minutes and these guys were hitting all sorts of huge moves robbie eagles got an incredible poison runner reversal and uh turbo backpack into a ron miller special for a very believable near fall uh eventually kyle gets to the rope break um robbie went to the top rope uh and targeted the leg he tried to land that 450 onto the leg which is his very well-known uh, setup for the Ron Miller special. He missed, and then um, from there, uh, Kyle Fletcher was able to hit the Grimstone uh, Tombstone counter for a, a near fall. Uh, Robbie kicked out. The crowd is super, super hot. This They got the third This Is Awesome chant of the evening, and this match was starting to get into like the emotional territory. Uh, at that point, it seemed like Robbie was pretty much done. He hit one big defiant slap to the face of uh, Kyle Fletcher. Kyle just laid him out with a knee and then uh, elevated him for another Grimstone pile driver for the one, two, three. Uh, and then at the very end, Robbie was just completely wiped. Um, we did see Kyle Fletcher offer a United Empire headband, and this is one of the big uh, talking points and uh, news stories coming out of this show. Robbie seemed a little perplexed, but uh, these guys didn't have anything else after that. You know, this style of match is the kind that you maybe sort of expect the guys to hug or shake hands or have a show of respect. And there wasn't much of that. It was sort of just like Kyle handed him the the armband and Robbie just kind of sauntered off and he was very dejected, very, very angry. And earlier on the evening, it was worth noting that uh, Chris Charlton made mention on commentary how the uh, the winner of Yo and Hiromu had already been kind of decided, and at this point, Eagles was looking overlooked because 
they had already announced that the next uh, challenger for the title was going to be Leo Rush. So two stable mates from Chaos kind of got a crack at Hiromu prior to Robbie getting that that next challenge. And I do know that we had a we had even had a Twitter interaction with Robbie Eagles back in I believe like February or January where. He'd made his intentions to be the next challenger uh, for Hiromu's title known even then. So um, kind of good storytelling here. This match did get uh, a standing ovation, even if Robbie sort of just uh, left after being dejected and broken. And um, that match, I'd go four and a quarter plus. I, I think it was just a, a smidge below what I would consider, say, like a four and a half star match. But... If you were higher on it, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, this is one where I'd say it's not just recommended viewing, but it's required viewing. You need to see this match easily. The best match in the four-show offering of the Tamashi brand. And, you know, easy watch. The 24 minutes just flew by. And that brings us to, finally, our main event of the evening. As we saw United Empire member Aaron Hanare take on uh, big man... Um, Caveman Ugg, and Caveman Ugg is a very, very well-known, integral star in the landscape of Australian professional wrestling. Um, I'm not too familiar with him, but even I know the name. And these two men, big boys, super heavyweights, big-time brawl, and uh, the crowd was really, really, really behind Caveman Ugg here. Aaron Hanari did make, uh, make a point to come down featuring the uh, indigenous people's flag of his people there from, uh, I believe, New Zealand, which was pretty cool. But uh, this match was very, very, very hard-hitting, very stiff. Hanari, uh, his striking just rules. Um, Huge chops all over the ring and then all over the outside as well. And then at one point, these guys went into the front row, into the crowd. They start brawling into the crowd with huge chops. And then I don't know if this was a plant or what the deal was, but at one point, Caveman Ugg turned around and gave a forearm to one of the fans, and they just sort of ate it, which was kind of hilarious. And then um, a few moments later, Aaron Hanari turned around to the security guards, which were trying to get them back into the ring, and he uh, fed him another, uh, fed him a uh, forearm as well. So. This really had sort of like a wild, brawling sort of feel to it. Um, very, very different from what we saw in the previous match. Um, later on after that, they were just kind of breaking guardrails over each other. I kind of felt bad for some of the people in the front row. They're probably having the time of their life, but the, the guardrails just kept getting uh, sort of like uh, landed on crowd and audience members, which was kind of crazy and kind of wild. Uh, there was a point, though, where before they got into the ring, they spent so much time on the outside, I just had to remark, like, how is this not a count out? Like, at what point does the referee not reach the 20 count? They've been out there for many, many, many minutes. <laughs> um, and then uh, at one point, um, Caveman Ugg, who was a, a really, really large man and someone that Gino said had deceptive agility, he did a standing stomp. Um, onto Aaron Hanari. So he jumped up in the air and stomped him on his chest down to the, the mat, which was pretty incredible. Uh, if you're not sure what I'm describing, imagine, uh, like, say, Seth Rollins' curb stomp, but he's landing on a, a man's chest while he's standing. It was really cool. Um, from there, we go into a huge uh, strike exchange between the two guys. You know what I'm talking about. Forearm for forearm. They're eating it. We're at the 10-minute mark of the match. Highly enjoyable. These guys are just brawling and, and kicking the shit out of each other. 
And then at one point we get a huge spinning kick from Hanare, which uh, elicited an incredible sell from Caveman Ugg. Uh, after that, Caveman Ugg hit this incredible, the only thing I could call it is a stalling, swinging Uranage, where he like had Hanare up and he swung him back and forth and then finally lifted him up in the air and hit him with rock bottom. Something I have not seen in the past. It was really, really cool. Got the one-two. Hanare kicks out. We're at the 15-minute mark. And um, Hanare starts landing multiple headbutts. He's got um, Caveman Ugg in trouble. Um, hits him with a Berserker Bomb. And he, it looks like he's about to win. And then um, out of nowhere, Bad Luck Fale shows up on the stage, distracts the ref. Jack Bonza grabs the, uh, the leg of... Aaron Hanare, who was in the corner. Liberd Lucci runs in. He's distracting the referee, and Bonza hits a low blow to Hanare. At that point, Caveman Ugg hits what's known as the Ugg driver for the win. One, two, three. And then he accepts the invitation from the Rogue Army to join their ranks. Um, and then that was the, clo- the show closing angle. Um, Aaron Hanare being laid out in the middle of the ring, and then uh, Jack Bonza... Caveman Ugg, Liberd Lucci, and uh, Fale standing on the stage, arm in arm. The the Rogue Army is here in Tamashi. At the end of the show, we did get a few comments. Not meant as many as I mentioned earlier from the first night. They kind of just focused on the major matches of the evening. But, um, you know, the stuff from Liberd Lucci and, and uh, Mitch Waterman was kind of meh. There wasn't anything there that I re- to really sink my teeth into. Uh, but from Eagles, he did uh, mention backstage how proud he was of Kyle. He wants a rematch at some point and uh, was kind of unsure of his invitation to the United Empire, but he kind of needed to re- recollect himself and figure out what the next steps were for Robbie, which makes sense because now we know he's in TMDK. Uh, likewise, Kyle uh gave a really uh, impassioned uh, promo backstage about Tamashi and how incredible it was that, you know, this is not something he could have dreamed of in the past, and now it's finally happening. And then he set his aims uh, with uh, Mark Davis on the IWGP tag team titles they want Bisham on, which is obviously coming to fruition here at Sakura Genesis. Hanari had a lot of uh, pretty uh, cross words for Fale and the rest of uh, the Rogue Army. And he wants the United Empire to come and show their dominance in Tamashi. And then to close out the backstage comments, the Rogue Army, which was pretty funny. Uh, Fale and Bonza, they, they mocked Hanara and the United Empire. They called Ugg a sexy beast. Um, Fale, or Bonza had a, a hilarious comment where at one point, like, Caveman Ugg started to speak. He's like, wait, you, you can speak English? Like, <laughs> so I don't really know if that's part of the gimmick. Like, he couldn't speak before, but uh, that was pretty funny. Um, and that's it. That closes out the show. I would say definitely at the very least check out the top two matches of the night. Um, the rest of the show was meh, but um, the Aaron Solo and Slex match at 12 minutes is probably worth checking out as well. Um, I'm still a little bit unsure of this experiment because there's elements of this being like a developmental as well as like an expansion for New Japan but also kind of more so like just a, a big time indie showcase. Like it doesn't feel that different from other independent companies, you know, whether that be in the UK or the United States. And it doesn't have that authentic New Japan branding that say like uh, New Japan Strong did at various iterations. Um, 
I am looking forward to what this brand has to offer for this upcoming Oceanic slash Oceanic Cup. I don't know what the proper name is, but um, you know they brought it up a lot on commentary, and many of the different wrestlers also uh, indicated their interest in competing for the Oceanic Cup. So that's definitely something that I think is going to be probably pretty cool and something that they're saying it's going to be like a three-day event, I believe. That might change, but... Uh, if it's going to be this huge tournament that that everyone's involved in and you know sort of has this prestige to it, I love tournaments, so that's something I can definitely get behind. But I still want to figure out what this brand is supposed to be. Like I know that it's something that the talent are very passionate about. You can you definitely can gather that from the backstage comments, and they they believe in this and they they want to show the world what um, you know Australia and New Zealand have to offer to the greater world of professional wrestling but at the same time you know i have to be honest about what i'm seeing on these shows and and there's a lot of green uh talent especially coming out of the new zealand dojo that haven't quite figured out their their craft yet they're making strides they're improving but one has to wonder if this show is the best place to have that many dojo talents all at one time you know usually if you're you're watching say like new japan strong or even just new japan proper you might see two matches max, maybe three max, but typically one or two featuring the Lions with a wide array of of veterans and and big names down the rest of the card. But on these shows, you're getting them in at least five or, you know, four or five, sometimes six of of the matches of the evening. And it's feeling more like a house show than it is like a premier wrestling brand. The only show that Tamashi's done so far that kind of a shoot away from that was Tamashi Night 2 last year, which felt more like a super indie. None of this really at this point 100% ties into or represents New Japan as a whole, and I feel like for them to uh, gain more of a foothold and the interest of fans internationally, they need to kind of re-examine the way they're booking this, the way they're they're laying it out and figure out what the goals are. Maybe they're happy with it at this point. I don't know. But I know for me as just, um, I can only speak for me. I, I'm not from Australia. I'm not familiar with the, the Aussie wrestling scene. I'm just a guy that hosts a podcast where we break down New Japan. You know, we've been doing it for five or six years. I feel like I'm their target audience. I'm, I'm somebody who watches almost everything that the company has to offer And when I'm watching this, I don't feel like I'm watching New Japan. And I do feel like it's okay that it's not 100% representative. I don't expect it to be a Cork and Hall show, obviously. But I do think there needs to be more emphasis on the New Japan way of doing things, whether it be just presentation or, uh, you know, even just... uh, the, the talents that they're bringing over. I think that they had some great talent from New Japan on this uh, tour, but there's other guys that could have been involved as well. I know that they're bringing over um, like uh, <laughs> Shingo and a few others for the next uh, tour, which is going to be cool. And the other thing too is they have to get this stuff out sooner. It, it's not enough to put it out a month after the fact. A month after the fact is way too long. Most people are not going to watch it. It took me a month to watch it after after the month that it had already been out. So I'm watching it on a two-month delay before I'm putting out this review to the world. And I feel like I'm sure that some of the other shows that are out there are covering it, but we're probably one of the only shows that are like devoting actual, you know, 
consistent time like this to covering this brand. And I, I hope and uh, pray to continue to do it. And if the, the brand does well, hopefully it'll make it way its way to uh, our coverage of it to keeping it strong style proper week in and week out. But at this point, I think there's still a lot more questions than answers as it pertains to this brand. But um, I'll just leave you with this. If you haven't checked anything out, be sure to check out Eagles and Fletcher. And I do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward with the Rogue Army, with Bullet Club, especially considering, like, you know, the the um, the exodus of Jay White and the ongoing turmoil within Bullet Club current day between, like, David Finley and ELP and how that's going to pertain to, like, say, the Rogue Army. So, um yeah, this was highly enjoyable. Uh, I was glad I got a chance to do this, and hopefully you enjoy uh, listening to it. Uh, give us your feedback. What 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 did you think? How did you uh, feel the show went? And um, you know, either way, check us out uh, this coming week. We're going to be having our preview of uh, Sakura Genesis as well as reviewing um, <laughs> the Road to Sakura Genesis. So this has all been a mouthful. Um, Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Guy Strong Style. On Facebook, we run the Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram and at Reddit, uh, Jeremy is the pro black guy, and I am keeping it strong style on Reddit. You can email Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Be sure to check out all our other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Ladd and James Boyd. Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, AEW Match Guide Podcast hosted by Sir Sam, and The Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kugler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating review, and we'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy Bomb. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.